And so I appreciate that so much. It is good to be with you in this Kingdom Critical series. I love the title. Don't you love the title of that? Kingdom Critical. Uh, because the reality is everything that you're talking about is, is so crucial to us right now. Let me pray one more time, and then we'll get into this. All right, let's pray. Our great God, what a joy to worship you, to be drawn by our worship team into your presence, uh, to be given the time to focus upon your glory and your greatness and your grandeur. And Lord Jesus, that the eternal Son of God took on human flesh and walked among us. We have beheld your glory, but we pray even now as we unpack and exposit and teach one of your, your main teachings in the book of Matthew, that Lord Jesus, you would be the teacher and that you'd use the one who speaks to, to mouth and, 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 com and communicate your truth. So we pray that you would forgive the one who teaches, use one who is a sinner and finite to communicate your infinite truth. For we pray in Jesus' holy name, amen. I'll tell you, I, 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 when I saw the title of this series, I thought, what a wonderful title, because the kingdom of God is critical, is it not? You know, we look at the United States of America, and we live in a great country, but we have a flawed country, don't we? Uh, but it still, nevertheless, is a, is, is a better place. I'd rather live here than other places, okay? So I, I love our country, but the kingdom of Jesus Christ is worldwide, and that is more critical than our country. You know that? I, be, I, I believe that with all my heart. And the reality is, is that in biblical prophecy, we do not see much, if anything, about the United States of America. Why is that? Why We're not going into that. You have to ask Bishop next week. He'll deal with that next week. But the reality is we don't see the United States in biblical prophecy, but what we do see is the people of God in biblical prophecy. And so the kingdom of God is critical in this world. It is the only kingdom that will last. The only country, in a sense, if you will, that will last. And so the kingdom of God is critical, and you as his people are critical to the advancement of this kingdom. But the reality is so often we don't think that we're critical. We don't think that we're that important. Uh, we, we, we think, I'm just who I am, you know. I'm just little old me, go to work, I'm married, I, I just. And yet the reality is, is that the evil one wants to make us think that we're not significant in the kingdom. And so that's why this series is so important. And today, I have the privilege, I've been assigned a text, Matthew 20, 1 through 16, in this series, Kingdom Critical. And so you might want to turn there, but maybe not yet, just yet. We'll have it up here, but I, I got I to gotta give you a background, because this is one of those series, one of those phrases uh, that many scholars call one of the hard sayings of Jesus. Have you heard that phrase before? The hard sayings of Jesus. And there are many hard sayings of Jesus, right? Love your enemy. That's a hard saying of Jesus. Sometimes I have a difficult time loving my friends, you know? Uh, so the reality is, is that there are many hard sayings of Jesus, and one of the hard sayings of Jesus is at the very end of this text in Matthew 21 through 16 that we're going to look at where he says, uh, but but many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. 
And so this is, that's a hard saying of Jesus, and we're going to unpack that and, uh, and, and all that he teaches in Matthew 21 through 16. But I can't do that. I can't make Matthew 21 through 16 make sense until I do a quick review, okay? So can we start in the book of Genesis and do a book of, re- no, no, not that far back. But I have to go back to Matthew 18, uh, because in Matthew 18 and 19, where you st- basically started this series, well, I know it's out of John as well. But if you go back, you see a sort of a a series of what Jesus is talking about, about what people of his kingdom are like. What are kingdom people like? Let me give you a quick review of that, and then the rest of this text will make much more sense. Uh, A couple of years ago, my wife and I and my daughter were hiking in the Grand Canyon. And if you've been there, you know uh, it's steep going down and it's steeper coming back up. Well, as we were hiking down about halfway, uh, we met a couple from Denmark, this older couple from Denmark, you know, and they spoke English, and they were the nicest couple in the world, and I've never met anybody. Have you ever met anybody from Denmark? No. Okay. Yeah. What are people from Denmark like? I don't know, but they were very nice people. They represented their country very well, just because of how nice they were. Well, we represent the kingdom of God, wherever we are. And and the reality is, is that kingdom people look, act a particular way. And Jesus has been talking about this. And so let's take a quick look at uh, how do citizens of the kingdom look? What are the marks, shall we say, of, of of, of the people of Jesus' kingdom? They're saved Okay, we got that. We're going to come back to that. Uh, but but he, in, in Matthew 18, verses 1 through 6, he says they have God's view of greatness. What does Jesus do back then in Matthew 18? He says, uh, if you're not like a little, what? If you're not like a little child and come to the kingdom like a little child, uh, you, you, know, you say, oh, God, aren't you so glad to have me? No, no. We come into the presence of the king. And, and like a child. And so we have God's view of greatness. We talk at Forge about building great men as God defines greatness, not as the world defines greatness. And so there's a particular sense. One mark of kingdom people is that they understand what greatness is. It's not necessarily having high status in society, having a lot of money, dressing perfectly, looking great, all that kind of stuff. Uh, but, but they do have a God's view of greatness. That's one mark. The second mark uh, is that they fight temptations, Matthew 18, verses 7 through 9. Now, I don't know about you, but temptations are difficult. Sometimes, sometimes I want to uh, crawl away slowly, hoping they'll catch up with me, you know? But the reality is most of us ought to want to run away from temptation, right? Because when we give in to sin, it destroys us, and it hurts what? our testimony to the rest of the world. It hurts those around us. And so the second mark of kingdom people is that they do fight temptation in their own life when they feel it, when they experience it. And that's why this worship this morning was so good, because it helps us to praise God for his glory and his greatness so that we don't think temptations to sin are better than his glory. Uh, so, uh, second, first mark then is we have a different view of greatness. God's kingdom people fight temptations. Uh, Matthew 18 also tells us the third mark of kingdom people. They go after lost sheep. 
yeah, why do you care? And sometimes we don't enough. But why do we care about those who are lost or about God's people when they wander away? Why? Because it's a mark of being a person of God. When you're in the family, among the people of God, you want to go after the lost sheep of Israel. You want to go after the lost sheep who need the shepherd. Uh, And so that's a mark uh, of of kingdom people. Uh, They also exercise tough love. Uh, with the family, inside the family. That's Matthew, uh, Matthew 18, verses 15 through 20. Your favorite passage, I'm sure, in the book of Matthew, church discipline. How many of you woke up this morning saying, oh, boy, I hope he does a passage on church discipline today? How many of us like to be held accountable? None of us do, really. But, but there is a mark of kingdom people that because of what God has done in our hearts, we love one another in the body of Christ. And when one of us goes astray into sin, somebody comes after us. And, and, and we need that kind of discipline from time to time. It's not the most fun passage in the Bible. And if you're a leader and have ever had to discipline, try to bring one of the sheep back to face their own sin, you know how difficult that is. But it is a mark of the church, of kingdom people. They exercise tough love within the family. Number five, they specialize in forgiveness and restoration, don't we? We forgive each other. That's a mark. Uh, and if I go too long today, Bishop said I had two hours. Is that okay with you guys? No, I'm just kidding. Uh, but, but if I sin and I ask for forgiveness, are you as a brother or sister duty-bound to forgive me? Yes, and to help restore me. Uh, in the, that's a mark of kingdom people. And then they, they keep their, their vows in marriage, Matthew 19, 1 through 12. Marriage is tough. My wife's not here today, so I can tell you we've been married for 43 years, best 43 years of her life. Um, and, and I'm kidding, of course, again, but uh, the reality is marriage is difficult, isn't it? It's, it's, it's challenging in many ways. Raising kids is difficult, but In the body of Christ, kingdom people do their best, do their best to keep our vows in marriage. And and, and, and we fail, and we can be forgiven, but we do our best. It's a mark of kingdom people. They hold a high view of children, Matthew 19, verses 13 through 15. We do hold a high view of children, don't we? uh, You have Sunday school, children's church, ministries to kids. We love our kids. We're pro-life. Christians are. Why? because we have a high view of children, because they're made in the image of God. And they need Jesus early in life, don't they? And especially in teenage years, they need to accept Jesus again and again and again. Uh, all right, so, but we have a high view of children. And then they, then and here's the, so there are several marks, right? Set, we've looked at seven. The eighth mark, I want to call the mark. If there was one mark and I think this is where our text is leading us, if there is one mark that characterizes all Christians is that we are graced people. People of the kingdom are marked by grace. They are marked by grace. They enter the kingdom by grace. And everything about what we do as God's people is grace. It's God's grace. And, and, and that text starts, and, and I, if I exp- expand on this a little bit, then in Matthew 20, it'll make much more sense for us. So remember the story, the account of the rich young ruler. 
You remember that one? I love this one. Uh, Matthew 9. We don't know if he was really rich. We don't know if he was a ruler, but we know he was young and he had a great deal of influence. And so that title has come together. But here it is, Matthew 19, verses 16. Uh, Behold, a man came to him and said, good teacher, what good thing shall I do to inherit eternal life? So he had, the, he had the idea here that to get to heaven, to be forgiven, you had to do what to get it? You had to earn it. Good teacher, uh, what, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? And so he, Jesus, said to him, why do you call me good? Why do you call me good? No one is good but one, that is God. Now, is Jesus here saying that he's not God? No. He's making the point that, that no one, no human being is good. And so he says, if you want to enter into life, keep the commandments. Keep how many of the commandments? All 10 and all 600. All the commandments. If you want to go to heaven, he says, good teacher. Well, there's only one that is good, one that is perfect, and that is God himself. God is the only, because God is the, not the one who kept the law that's outside himself, but he is the law, right? He embodies, he is the standard. And so uh, uh, this, this, uh, this man says to him, well, which one should I keep? Which ones? Jesus said, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor of yourself, as yourself. And, and so Jesus takes the 10, notice that he mixes them up there from the first tablet, the second tablet. He doesn't put them in order like that. And so the young man said, all these things I have kept from my youth, what do I still lack? Don't you love that? Is that arrogant? I've kept all of those, Jesus. Anything else that I need to do? I've kept them all. And uh, Jesus, Jesus, of course, knows his heart. And he says, well, if you want to be perfect, go sell what you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Come, follow me. Well, that was a deal breaker. That was a deal breaker, but when the young man heard that he was saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Jesus, you know, the interesting thing here is Jesus says, all right, all right, um, sell everything you have, everything you have, and come follow me. What was Jesus basically showing this young man? He was showing him that he violated the very first of the commandments. He said, I've kept all those other ones, Jesus. And Jesus said, wait a minute, let's back up. Let's go with number one. You shall have no other gods before me. And this young man had violated the first one. Therefore, he'd probably violated all of them in some way, shape, or form. And so Jesus goes to number one, says, hey, you failed there. Uh, There it is. And he shows him his heart. And Jesus said to his disciples, Assuredly, I say to you, it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I say to you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to go into heaven. And, 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 don't, and, and basically, those of us who are getting older and have tried to thread a needle. Okay, I did this last week before I went to the beach. I had to fix a pair of pants, my swim trunks, and I was, it took me a lot longer than it used to 20 years ago lately. Threading a needle is very difficult, but the bottom line is uh, it's hard for a rich man to, because, because anybody 
to get past the first commandment, right? But you have to get past the first commandment. You have to recognize you're a sinner and that you're putting all these other things before God. When the disciples heard it, they said, who could be saved? And, but Jesus, I love it. Jesus looks at them and says, with God, all things are possible. And that's why when, when we said this morning, and I love how the service began, because, because we were singing about the great things God has done. And then my brother over here said, you are the great things God has done. I mean, I love creation. I love Colorado. I didn't get out there this year, and I'm sad. Oh, I know, I know. Uh, but, 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 but really, you are the great things he has done in changing hearts you are kingdom critical because you are kingly loved. And it's so important and kingly redeemed. And so, uh, so Jesus looks up and says, men, it's impossible. With God, all things are possible. Now, Peter, I love it. Peter, the man who always walked into a room mouth first, whose philosophy was speak first, think later, said this revealing that he has interned eye disease. You know what interned eye disease is? Interned eye disease is life is all about me. Peter answered and said to him, See, we've left everything and followed you. Therefore, what shall we have? We've done everything for you. What do we have? And so Jesus said to them, Surely, I say to you, Okay. I say to you, in the regeneration, when the Son of Man sits on the throne of the glory, you who have followed me will also sit on the 12 tribe th thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or fathers or mothers or wife or children or lands for my sake shall receive a hundredfold and shall inherit eternal life. But here it is. You ready? The hard saying of Jesus. But many who are first will be last, and the last First, and so what, what, what Jesus is doing here is giving a subtle and maybe not so subtle rebuke to the Apostle Peter, who says, what about, what about us? Now, notice when, when Peter's saying, what about us, Lord? He's kind of going to the disciple. What about us? We've left everything for you. Really what Peter is saying was, what about me? What do I get out of this? And, and so the reality is, is that when Jesus utters this statement, but you're going you're gonna to rule with me, right? He says to the disciples, you're going to rule with me. You cannot outgive me. I will give you all kinds of blessings. But, but, the first will be last, so the last will be first. And now our text for today. I know, it won't be forever. Again, Bishop said I had two hours. Um, now our text for today, because in, in, in Matthew 20, verse 1, he says this, for the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner. And then he begins to tell a parable, doesn't he? And when that, that word for is a tip-off that he's going to explain uh, what just went on about that word. So he says, for the kingdom of heaven. Here's the story. The kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. Now, when he had agreed with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into the vineyard, and he went out about the third hour, 9 a.m., and saw others standing idle in the marketplace and said to them, you also go into the vineyard, and whatever is right, I will give you. So they went. Again, he went out about the sixth hour, 
12 noon, and the ninth hour, 3 p.m., and did likewise. And about the 11th hour, 5 p.m., catch this, 5 p.m. in the afternoon, he went out and found others standing idle and said to them, why, why have you been standing idle all day? They said to him, because no one hired us. He said to them, you also go into the vineyard. Whatever is right, you will receive. Now, do you know the end of the story? The end of the day, uh, it says, when evening had come, the owner of the vineyard said to the steward, call the laborers and give them their wages, beginning with the last to the first. And when those came who were hired about the 11th hour, they each received a denarius, because that's what he promised them, right? But when the first came, they supposed that they would receive more. <laughs> we worked all day. We worked 12 hours for you. And we're just get a denarius? And when they received it, they complained against the landowner, saying, these last men have worked only one hour, and you made them equal to us who have borne the burden and the heat of the day. Now, what does Jesus say? Oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so sad for you. Are your little feelings hurt? No, Jesus gives them some tough love, some straight out. He says, friend, I'm doing you no wrong. Uh, did you not agree with me for a denarius? Answer, yes. Take what is yours, go your way. I wish to give if I wish to give this last man the same as to you. Is it not lawful for me to do what I wish with my own things? Answer, yes. Uh, or is your eye evil because I am good? Ooh. So the last will be first, and the first will be last. For many are called, but few are chosen. What is he teaching here? Three things. You see it on your outline, and I want to unpack this because it's so important for us. Jesus is teaching three major points for us. Remember when I said that the number one mark of a kingdom person, people of the kingdom, and the number one mark is that we are graced. And so first of all, I want you to note here the grace of the call. Because in this parable, what Jesus is talking about is that everybody is called by the owner of the vineyard into the vineyard. Uh, who is the owner of the vineyard? God is the owner of the vineyard. God is the owner of the vineyard. And uh, as we can see in the Old Testament, oftentimes Israel is called the vineyard of God. Uh, and the vineyard is the place where God is working among his people in this world for the rest of the world. But notice that the call of, 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 the, of the owner of the vineyard is the call of grace, come into my vineyard. God is the caller, isn't he? It's amazing. Um, now, he has a foreman. Do you notice in this parable? And remember, parables usually have one major message. This, is, this one has, uh, we don't want to get too allegorical on it, but it does seem to have some other uh, implications here, that God is the owner of the vineyard, and he calls us by grace into the, into the vineyard. Notice he's got a foreman who could go out and get those guys, but the owner of the vineyard is very much involved in the work of his vineyard, isn't he? And so the owner himself, God himself, is making the call to come into my vineyard and work, be a part of it. It's a gracious call. These guys are standing around doing nothing. Their lives are going nowhere. They don't, they're not gaining anything. They need, they need work, right? They have needs, and the God of the universe sees their needs, and he calls them, and he calls them into the kingdom. And the kingdom 
is, is, is a, gr- a gracious call. They don't deserve to work in his kingdom, but they get the call. Did, did God know you before the foundation of the world? The answer is yes, if you read the New Testament. Does he know your name? Yes, he knows your name. Does he know where you mess up? Yeah, yeah. Some of us think that that's, that's all God knows about us is how we mess up. And when we mess up, he's just looking for an opportunity to step out, for us to step out of line so he could squash us like a bug. But that's not the God of the universe. He loves us with a love that comes from a heart that is bigger than we can understand. He is a God of grace who calls us into the kingdom. And it, it, it's, it's interesting that the owner of the, of the vineyard is like all day long. He's getting up and he's always, you know, he goes out at all these times of the day before 6 in the morning because that's when work starts. Work started at 6, and so he was probably up at 5, walking around looking for the guys to work. And, and then, and then uh, what, 9, 12, 3, and 5. He's always, he's always on the lookout to bring people into his kingdom, isn't he? God wants people. He's always looking for the lost sheep uh, of, of the tribe of Israel, of the people. And so, uh, But notice the end point of this parable is going to be the clarifying point. Many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. So through this parable, we see uh, that these, these Jews are called into the kingdom. Uh, we are called into the kingdom, and we can see this as a place where God is working. But it's a gracious, gracious call. What is grace? We think we know. But grace is being given something that you don't deserve when there's every bit of evidence that you deserve the opposite. By grace you've been saved through faith, we know that. We know that. But Romans 3.23 says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And Romans 6.23 tells us that all need faith in Jesus, need the Savior. Uh, and, and, and Ephesians 2 is very clear when it starts out, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. And so we don't come to Christ because we're partially alive. We're completely dead. And the owner of the vineyard calls us. And that call is a life-giving, energizing call to new life in Christ. If he doesn't call, we will never hear. We would never go to him. But he calls us. It starts with him. And so there's a very real thing that we need to understand here is that the number one mark of a kingdom person is that they are, they are graced, and the call is the number one mark of that grace. The grace of the call, we are called into the body of Christ. But then, but then here he says to Peter, here's the mild rebuke. You ready for it, Peter? You want, you, what about you? What about me, Jesus? What are you doing for me? Jesus says, but many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. What's he trying to say? Your call into the kingdom is by grace, by God's unmerited, unearned favor that you and I didn't earn. Peter is thinking, look how much I sacrificed for you, Jesus. Look how much I've done for you, Jesus. I I mean, everybody hates you, and therefore they hate us. And Peter's thinking, We got into this at the very beginning of the game. We were right in the beginning. What about us? And Jesus says, I love you, and you're called by grace, and you're going to rule with me. But never forget this, Peter. Never forget this principle of grace that seniority 
does not determine status. Understand that just because you came in early, because I brought you in early, doesn't mean that your status is greater than all, all those that will come after you. Because, because the first will be last and the last will be first. And that's, the way the, that's the way grace is. And so Peter's thinking, man, I'm, a, I'm an apostle. You know what they started calling them after the resurrection? They started calling them apostles, not disciples, not mere learners, not mere followers. They started calling them apostles, one sent out in the power of God to establish the kingdom of God on earth. And I'm glad they have that exalted title. But, 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 but Jesus is telling us that seniority uh, it, we don't serve so that we can gain our place. We serve because we have a place. And it's so important for us to understand. And so this call to the kingdom uh, into the vineyard is a gift of grace. And so today, here's a first application and challenge for you and for me. And that challenge for you and for me is to understand our high status in Christ. And to remember that no matter when you came into the kingdom of God, it was by God's call. Maybe it was just today, yesterday. I don't know when it was, but that, that doesn't determine your state. You say, I'm just, I just, I'm a brand new baby Christian. Great. Your status couldn't be higher than it is right now. Maybe you, maybe you were the first in your family to come to faith in Christ, and you brought the rest of your family to faith in Christ. Awesome. That's wonderful. But your status is still not higher than the person who just came to faith in Christ. And that's good for us as ministers to hear sometimes, isn't it, Bishop? That we are, your congregation loves you and bless you. I took a picture of that parking sign that they have for you out there. I thought that's so cool. If I, I just can't wait. Some Sunday I'm going to get here really early, and I'm going to park in that and see what he does, you know. I, I think that's a wonderful gift. They love you, and, and they should, and they honor you, and they should. But as ministers, sometimes we're like the Apostle Peter, and we start thinking, hey, take care of me. Take care of me. That's not what this is about. So understand that your status is so high and rejoice in the high status and calling you have. Uh, so number, number two, I want you to know not only the grace of the call that you've been called into the vineyard by God's grace, notice the grace of the work. And I want you to notice that there is a grace associated with the work that we do as followers of Jesus Christ to work in his vineyard, the world, as we take the gospel of Jesus Christ to other people. The work that we have been given to do is a grace. It's a gracious thing to have purpose and significance in extending the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ. Would you agree with me on that? Well, when I got here, I, I met a, a lady, and she was she said, I'm sorry I can't stay. I've got to go work with the children. And I turned and I said, God bless you. Those little Philistines need you in Jesus' name. Um, I didn't say it quite that way, but... Um, but, but the reality is she was going to serve. Why in the world is she going to take care of other people's kids? Because there is a grace to the work that we get. It's a gracious thing to be called into the kingdom. And the work that we do is a gracious work. Now, this is important to keep in mind because Peter is thinking about rewards here, right? And, and what Jesus is saying, listen, don't, don't, don't serve me for the reward the reward will take care of itself because the first will be last and the last will be first. Don't, don't, now, are you going to be rewarded? Yes. Will, will the disciples be rewarded? Yes. They're going to sit on the, on the, uh, and judge us all. What a blessed position they will have. 
But he still says to them, don't do the work for the reward. Do the work because of the grace that you've received. Grace in Jesus Christ is what energizes our service. That's why, that's why when we go back to our status and remember who we are, that we are saved by grace through faith alone in Jesus, and that you are God's deeply beloved, redeemed daughter and son, there is no higher status than that. I don't care what the world says. So you have this high status, and out of that high status, then we serve the king. And that's one thing that I loved about our time this morning in worship is because I was able to get on my, I was on my feet, but on my knees in my heart before the king, and to remember what a, gra- what, a, what a graced man I am, what graced people we are. And so Jesus talks about the grace of the work there, and, and this is what Paul said in 1 Timothy uh, chapter 1. He says this, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has enabled me because he counted me faithful, putting me into ministry. Although I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent man. But I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with the faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. And so understand that the Apostle Paul, and and there's other verses that I could go to, but they'd keep us here for those two hours. Uh, But the New Testament authors were all very much thankful that they got to be a part of the kingdom of God's work. Because the work is a grace. We are, you are given the gift of advancing the most important kingdom on earth. Kingdom critical. And you are kingdom critical. The problem is we don't always see how our little role feeds into the advancement of the whole. And there's a lot of times, oh, I'm not making that big of an impact. I'm not doing much. And you say, how, how is helping out in nursery changing the world? Is it? You bet it is. That's because you can listen here today and worship here today. And those kids, those kids can be impacted. But, but to see it in the biggest scope is very difficult to do. And so that's why we have to take Jesus at his word when he tells us about the grace of the call into the kingdom and the grace of the work while we're in the kingdom, and the challenge here for us is not to enjoy our status, but enjoy the work. Enjoy the work where God has called you through your spiritual gifts to serve, to work. Don't do it for the reward. The reward's coming. Oh, and, and by the way, the first one will be last, the last one will be first. You can't outgive God. And that's what he's saying to Peter. He said, Peter, I'm, I'm going to let you rule, but, but don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about the reward. Because if we just work for a reward, we are putting demands on God, and, and we're probably putting limits on the reward because God is infinite in what he wants to do to bless us. And so uh, this has helped me a great deal. So, uh, by, by the way, by way of footnote, I have to say this before we wrap this up with a third point, and almost done. This parable would be a disaster if it was applied to the workplace Think about it for a minute. If you go in and work one hour and expect to be paid for 10, not going to happen. This is not Jesus teaching on the workplace. This is Jesus talking about 
salvation and grace. I just needed to make that clarification, right? All right, I got you. Okay. So I want you to understand then, thirdly, not only the grace of the call and the grace of the work, because the number one mark of kingdom people is that we are graced, but notice, thirdly, the grace of the reward. Here it is. This is where we really have to focus, uh, but um, uh, I love it how these guys came to Jesus at the very end, and, and they said, Jesus, you know, um, I, or to the landowner, they said, you cannot pay me the same amount. Denarius was a fair day's wage. I don't know what an, an, a good hourly wage is today. I don't know. Um, but um, uh, Denarius was a, a fair wage for a day's work in the field back then. And Jesus gives this incredibly generous reward, or the landowner gives this incredibly generous reward. 1 Corinthians 13, 3, through, uh, 3 and 14 and 15 says this. If anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. The truth is your rewards are not determined by the amount of work you and I do for Jesus. That's hard. But our rewards are all due to his grace. And he's going to give you more than you could ever imagine. And that's why this is so important, that we not let the rewards be the main motivator. Uh, he says, many are called, few are chosen. Not all the te texts of Scripture uh, emphasize this as much at this point uh, as a, as a follow-up of this. But the point is the call of the gospel goes out worldwide, doesn't it? The call of the gospel goes out worldwide. The chosen receive the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel goes out to all people uh, who are actually saved. Now, let me give you just real briefly the, 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 the takeaways. But with all of this said and done, what do you walk out of here? What do I walk out of here today hopefully with? Number one, I want you to walk out of here today uh, understanding how critical the kingdom of Jesus Christ is. And that as we go here, we, sh we shut down worship, we turn off the cameras, uh, we talk to each other, we drink that holy cup of uh, core faith blended coffee, uh, which I want. I'm going to get one afterwards. Uh, you know, and, and we say goodbye to each other and we go home. The kingdom continues, does it not? And the, kingdom, the kingdom's critical work continues, does it not? Even though you might have a holy nap this afternoon. Even though you might spend time with family and friends and relax a little bit, you deserve it. You need it. You're called to it. But the kingdom is still critical, and you are still critical. And so worship, rest, and then get out there the next day. But, uh, but as you go out there, remember, I want, you to, I want you today to rejoice in your status as called people. I want you to, I want you to not think about all those bad things that you are. Huh. What do you mean? I mean this, that the evil one constantly likes to tell us how bad we are. The evil one wants to make you feel like an absolute, unsaved sinner carrying the weight of baggage from the past. And you need to say, I know, I, I have sinned, but by God's grace, I've been called into his vineyard. I, I am his. I am his deeply beloved, redeemed daughter, son, teenager, I belong to him. 
I, and you know, we don't take the time to relax and rejoice and revel in our high status. And that's a big takeaway, because you've been called into the kingdom intentionally by the king. And then secondly, uh, the takeaway I want you to go is to serve out of gratitude. Is that when you start thinking about where you're going to serve next or what you're going to do next for God, serve out of gratitude. Serve out of grace, not for the reward. Intentionally say, it's not what I'm going to get. It's, it's what he's going to give. And I don't know what that is, but he's already given so much. And so we serve energized by grace. Grace that comes from our status that Jesus accomplished on the cross once and for all. And so serve out of gratitude, not for the reward. And then lastly, focus on others versus yourself. This is the toughest. Because naturally, I want to take care of myself. What does Jesus say? Love your neighbor as... It's natural for me to love myself. He's not saying... even though maybe we had some difficulty in our past loving ourselves, still, it's easy for me to put myself number one. And so he says, love, uh, focus on other people, uh, and, and don't, don't worry uh, about self. Uh, driving home from the beach a couple of days ago, uh, we, um, I was listening to the radio, and Keanu Reeves, you know the actor Keanu Reeves? Uh, he's uh, in that famous great movie for kids, John Wick. Um, um, <laughs> how can you use a, a Keanu Reeves illustration in church? Well, uh, by saying this, that, that uh, uh, he was in an airport flying into New York, and this 10-year-old or 12-year-old boy, maybe you heard this in the news, uh, thought that it was Keanu Reeves, the actor that was on the plane. And when he got down to the baggage area, he had all these questions prepared for him. And he was asking him, Keanu Reeves was patient and kind and talked to this boy as long as they, uh, a long period of time. And, 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 and the interviewer said that Keanu Reeves is probably the nicest actor in all of Hollywood. Just a kind man, even though he kills a lot of people in his movies. Um, and um, and there are very few actors like him. There are very few actors like him. And I thought to myself as I was getting driving home to come and be with you all today, I started thinking the reality is that I'm not always the nicest, warmest person. But I am a kingdom son. And I want to represent And when I understand my status and when I'm not serving for reward and when I'm thinking about you and not me because of what Jesus did for me, it makes all the difference in the world. I take it to heart. And I will too. Lord Jesus, we love you because you first loved us. Thank you for inviting us into your vineyard. May we serve. May we recognize how critical we are. We commit ourselves to you again. In your glorious name and for your